And we're back with another week of Find Your Film and True to Form, co-host Eric Holmes and I, we actually were under the gun and we got in all our featured movies right before recording began. So good job, Eric Holmes, who is Perix, Texas. Very good. Perix, Texas. That is an allusion to a movie, the Vin Vendors film that he's going to be talking about. It's a movie rewind that Bruce Berkey did a couple of weeks ago, the, the movie Paris, Texas. I, I, uh, I, my name is Greg Srizvasti. I'm the Greg Committee. We're, we're doing a movie called The God Committee this week, starring, do we call him Kelsey Grammer or do we, Bruce, do we call him Fraser Crane? What do we call him? Um, Fraser Grammer? I don't know what we call him. <laughs> were, were any of you guys a fan of Fraser or Cheers or any of that stuff? Was it nice to see Kelsey Grammer again or not? You, got, you guys were not neither. Uh, my the- my brother's a huge fan of Cheers. He's uh, mm. he's either watching that or it's always sunny in Philadelphia. At, at least one of those two is always on. He must have a great sense of humor because both those shows are really awesome. Bruce Perky, come true, Bruce. Bruce, you have a, a very sleeper hit that I guess you really want to talk about to us about this week. Is that probably one of your favorites this this week? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was really. Um surprised and happy when i saw that movie i don't know if everyone else will be but i was okay so this, oh oh some people not, might not be a fan of this movie called come true something that will come true this weekend is a couple of movies that at the behest of eric holmes who is a, a ringleader of events he likes bringing people and podcasters together for events that he creates credit to him to that i i'm, I'm excited for this eric holmes can you tell our listeners what kind of co-merge find your film is having with cinematics this weekend um well we are doing a uh we're doing another director spotlight and this next spotlight is going to be on stanley kubrick so as you guys know uh there's one person that we all know that i would say is probably the uh authority on stanley kubrick and that's anderson cowan so he's going to join us on the uh on the spotlight and probably school us on some with some kubrick knowledge and i can't wait the movies we are covering this weekend with Anderson Cowan. Anderson Cowan is a filmmaker. He directed Groupers. He's also spearheaded Spearhead's three podcasts. One of them is Cinematics, which I co-host with him. And also the long-running and successful film program, film weekly film review program, The Film Vault. Last but not least, he also co-hosts a program with Tyler White, I believe, right? Tyler and Mike Carano. It's called The After Disaster. So that is, we're going to be joined this weekend with our buddy, Anderson Cowan and F. Eric Holmes, because I just learned from Bruce Perky that Spartacus is three hours and 15 <laughs> minutes. I look, this is my rule, Eric Holmes. I hope Stanley, I thought Stanley Kubrick films are only 70 minutes. What's this with the, with the long running time, buddy? Why, why, why couldn't you have picked killer's kiss or, or something else? Why we, Spartacus? Could, we could have, um, that the reason I picked Spartacus was, it was, it was the one movie that at least that I'm aware of that he was hired on to. Like they had a they had a director previously, they got fired, and then he got hired on later. So this would be a Stanley Kubrick movie that's not really a Stanley Kubrick movie, but I guess kinda is. And I had Anderson pick the second movie, uh Lolita. Um just because I, I was like, look, we know this one's the least Stanley Kubrick movie. What's like the most Stanley Kubrick movie? Probably not one that, you know, not 2001 or Clockwork Orange that everyone's seen. And he's like, I don't think a lot of people watch Lolita and that'd be a good one to talk about. So those are the two movies that we're doing. Bruce, are you a fan of Spartacus or Lolita uh, among Kubrick's work or any of you guys huge Kubrick guys like uh, Anderson is? Yeah, I mean, I somewhere back there, I have the Stanley Kubrick 
DVD collection that came out in the early thousands. Doesn't have Spartacus because I think it was disowned by him as one of his actual films. But mm. I like both of them actually. Spartacus to me is the better gladiator. So that's the way I look at it. Eric Holmes, how old is Greg Srizavasti? How old am I? I'm so you, old that you both look 20 to me. Oh, thank you so much. That's that's what happens by being a biased friend. You are Eric Holmes. I'm so old. <laughs> I'm so old. We're as old as one of the corpses that we're going to be talking about in this. We're, me and Bruce were both frozen cold corpses. We're, we're going to be tackling that frozen cold corpse very, very soon. But I'm so old that I was one of journalists who attended the Stanley Kubrick DVD press day for that collection that rests behind Bruce's office wall, which has all these different what I don't know what other boxes. Oh, there's a Wicker Man a special edition box set, probably from Anchor Bay Entertainment, a bunch of other stuff. And that Stanley Kubrick DVD collection is part of his collection. So that will be our director spotlight, Eric Holmes. Yes, but, sir. But Greg, how'd you, how'd you pull that off if you're only 20 years old? You must Thank have you. been... Thank you. Sir. must have been like a couple months old when you did that. It doesn't make sense. You are very kind. And, and I know why you're being kind because... The only, what keeps me young, Eric Holmes, is the fact that I get to really fast forward through 75-minute movies. Unfortunately, you're going to see me age 35 years this Saturday when we record our Kubrick episode because I think he was, he was three hours and 15 minutes. Greg was floating over the thing like that little space baby, I think, during it. He was... <laughs> the little space baby. Very good. Bruce Perky, we have some really interesting movies this week. We have Fear Street. 1994 that is a part of it it's called the fierce fear street trilogy it comes out on netflix the 1994 version is the first installment we're going to get to that in a second our second movie which is which we talked about kelsey Grammer, and i i threw in the fraser crane reference no he's very good in this movie called the god committee and it also co-stars julia styles and the frozen corpse movie that we're going to be talking about is a movie that eric holmes you just saw Right under the gun. Like, you just fin- did you just finish it like 10, 15 minutes ago? No, it was probably an hour ago, I think. Okay, hour ago. We finished it at the same time. So we are very fresh regarding the movie, the Megan Fox headlined thriller, relationship thriller. It's Weekend at Bernie's meets a, a nice movie. It's called, it's called Till Death. So those are th- our three main movies this week. Bruce, just very quick catch-all. I mean, last week was a very big week for us. We, we had... Teyeva Conmigo, a.k.a. I Carry You With Me, a bunch of other really cool films. Was this week overall, uh, you know, maybe Come True saved it for you? Was its overall recap a little bit of a disappointing week as far as the the, the grab bag that we had? Or is it hard to compare because last week was so special? Um, I would say there's there's one movie I quite quite liked. There's one movie that was okay and one movie I didn't like. So I'd say it's in the middle. Okay. How about you, Eric Holmes? Good, good uh, grab bag of three films before we get to them. I, I would say so. They're, uh, uh, we'll say it's a nice and a nice change up from what we've been doing, and uh, it's, it's a lot of uh, dumb, a lot of dumb fun to be had this week. You know, <laughs> so uh, I, I was, I was all about it. You know, there's nothing wrong with dumb fun after the emotional stakes of I carry, you, I carry you with me last week. That was very heavy. In a way, whether we like these movies or not. It, I'm glad that we were able to actually have some dumb fun this week because last week was just too much, yeah, in a good way, uh, too much drama, but very emotional, emotionally heavy. Now, first, we're going to start off with Fear Street Part 1, 1994. 
Dude, what the hell? This is exactly why you have no friends. Look, some gal killed a bunch of people at the mall last night. Holy shit. Another shady side tragedy. Fits the narrative, right? Sarah fears back. Christ, not you too. There's no angry dead witch. The only thing that made him go crazy is this town. The dude was wearing a Halloween skull mask. How is that not fun? Guys, I think there's someone in the woods. We're together for one night and dead people are trying to kill us. Maybe we are doomed. She was so sexy, but so crazy. Normal bitches don't bleed black blood. How do we not die? I'm looking at you, witch nerd. You can't stop it. Plot synopsis, a circle of teenage frame friends accidentally encounter the ancient evil responsible for a series of brutal murders that have plagued their town for over 300 years. Welcome to the town of Shadyside. Fear Street is the these these uh, the Fear Street trilogy. This one is Fear Street Part 1, 1994. All of these Fear Streets are based on a series of books by acclaimed children's author R.L. Stein. This is obviously not one of his children's books. This is the darker version of R.L. Stein. I have not read any of his books. Bruce, Eric, were you growing up? Were you fans of Stein? Are you familiar with any of his work at all? I'm familiar with them because of my nieces and nephews. Uh, they watch the Goosebumps a lot, pretty much anything Goosebumps related. And so, I, you know, it, it, they're fine. You know, it's uh, like any sort of anthology. Some are, some are better than others, but overall of the things my nieces and nephews watch, the Goosebumps aren't my least favorite, we'll say. Okay, fair. And Bruce, your father, did you raise your your sons on on Arl Stein, or did they come? Were they ever Stein fans themselves? The only person in my family that ever read Arl Stein is my wife. I mentioned that I was watching this movie, and my wife actually read the Fear Street books and not the Goosebumps books. So she was actually kind of excited. And I told her that Friday we'd watch it again together because she's kind of interested in knowing about it. And I think to me, and I don't know much about it myself, but it seems like the Fear Street series is kind of like the young adult version of the Goosebumps series, which is more for littler kids, I think. So that's kind of how it looks like to me. Well, here's here's the thing about Fear Street Part 1, 1994. It's coming out again on Friday via Netflix. Thank you, Netflix, for providing us a link for Fear Street Part 1, 1994. I grew up, uh, all three of us grew up in 1994. The first comment I received even before watching this movie is from Eric and Bruce, who incessantly in a good, in an accurate way, actually talked about all the needle drops that were part of Fear Street Part 1, 1994. Look, that's not a complaint. All three of us grew up going to Tower Records or Moby Disc or the warehouse buying CDs left and right. The thing is, they were correct. There are needle drops, it seems, every single bleeping minute. <laughs> the production design of this movie, it looks like Stranger Things meets a 1990s horror uh, homage to like a Scream or I Know What You Did Last Summer, th- those kind of movies. But I'm wondering, how the heck did they spend all that money? How did, it must This whole thing must have cost millions of dollars just to get some music clearance for Fear Street Part 1, 1994. 
I'm just going to really just very quickly, guys, do we should, should we even talk about the spoilers, what the, the urban legend is or the myth is? I've read a lot of reviews where they tell exactly what's going on, who's the culprit, or for the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to leave it up to you guys. How much should we spoil? I, I have an idea. Yeah. Because uh, we the, this is the first of a trilogy. The next one's coming out next week and the third right. one the week after, right? Mm-hmm. I say we just be rather vague since we're going to be talking about the second one. And then before we talk about the second one next week, maybe we get into spoilers leading up to it. Because at that point, people will have had time to watch this one. And then then the third week, do spoilers on the first and second episode. And then I, I think that'd be a fun way to do it. Okay. Bruce, you co-sign on that? That sounds fun. Yeah. And just let people know, you know, that, hey, we're going to do this for a second. If you haven't seen the first one, go watch it. You know, whatever. Well, look, okay, that's that's a great idea. Uh, you know, a lot of the print reviews are spoiling everything, what the whole legend is behind Shady Side, okay? Just know a couple things. There's Shady Side, there's Sunnyvale. Shady Side is the shadier side of town, which is probably the middle class to lower economic class as far as that strata, meaning 99% of the world. We, I hope one. I hope for the next couple of installments, we get to see what Sunnyvale's like. Sunnyvale is the quote-unquote upper middle class, sunnier side of the street. In the, the part one, we see a little bit of a rivalry rivalry between those two schools, but that's just a small snippet of the narrative. Essentially what you have is you have these four teenagers. Two of them are, are siblings. The other two are best friends of the main character of the uh, the narrative. And that's it. They're, they're looking for a murderer or a culprit who might be going around town in a skeleton. Like, the quote unquote skeletal mask killing teenagers or people for some gosh forsaken reason. And that's the main plot of the movie. The lead of this movie is Kiana Madeira. She plays Dina. She is the main, she's very, very good in this movie. She, I, I told the, I told Eric and Bruce, she reminds me of a younger version of, of um, Eliza Dushku. Maya Hawk, the daughter of Ethan Hawk, she shows up in the opening moments of the movie in a scream like, scream like introduction. It was like, which is a throwback to that, that to that Wes Craven film, and after that first segment, it goes right into the narrative. So a lot of this movie feels like a throwback to Wes Craven's Scream, especially a lot of the movies from the '90s. But I think one of the great things about Fear Street Part One, 1994, is that even though it's an homage to these movies, it doesn't languish. And it is not a slave to all these tropes. Sure, there's a lot of needle drops. There's a lot of self-referential moments. But ultimately, this movie directed by Lee Janiak, Janiak previously directed Honeymoon, which I need to rewatch again. I remember loving it. But I, I ended up really enjoying Fear Street Part 1, 1994, because as much of it as it, it wanted us to remember a time gone by with these needle drops and these horror thrillers from the 90s, it's actually its own movie. It has its own identity. And by the third act, when people are dying, you actually get to, at least I did, I was actually, in, I was in, invested in who lived or died. And I, there were a couple moments when I go, oh no, that just did not happen. And it did. And when you, th- when you think of the name R.L. Stein and you don't know like the Fear Street books, like Bruce's, Bruce's wife, yeah, it is a bloody film. Not too bloody like Jallo bloody, but it has its share of, of goriness. So anyways, Eric Holmes, your overall thoughts regarding Fear Street Part 1, 1994. Did it live to, it, to its ex- expectations for you? Um, well, the, the, I don't know if it lived to my expectations because I wasn't really expecting much. I just thought it was kind of a cool uh, release pattern that they had for these three movies. You know, I put it in and I was like, oh, this will be this will be a fun thing. I put it in and the opening scene was real good. 
and then they were just relentless with the needle drop. So, I mean, we already talked about that, but I cannot stress said someone should have probably put the brakes on that. But after that, you know, I kind of started having fun with the, uh, the mystery and the, uh, I guess the lore they're kind of building. And I, I was kind of like you with the characters. I kind of grew to love them. And when uh, certain things happen at then, like when they're in peril, I'm just like, no, no, like I'm actually giving a shit, which <laughs> that I was not expecting at all. I was expecting this one to be like, cool, these are the characters that's going to die. <laughs> and let's, you know, let's see what kind of fun ways it uh, happens. But um, Eric, do you credit the writing, the writing of the the, the thing, or do, is it the characters themselves? Because I don't, this is one of those movies where I was just surprised at how much I actually cared about, about who died, as opposed to caring more for the kill scenes. You see what I'm uh, saying? Um, probably. I'd, I'd probably lean more on the the actors. Uh, just because they're they're charming but i mean the the words don't come out of their mouth if someone doesn't write it down first so i mean obviously the writing's got something to do with that i like the uh like the fact that the uh, two main characters were like in in the uh in a world where disney likes to have uh two straight characters and go uh are they gay are they not gay we don't know it was the first gay blah blah and like this is like all all right out there so they got the the two gay characters explicitly gay characters which is nice uh, real diverse cast and uh you know this uh, this isn't going to be the type of movie that that wins all the awards but uh you know what uh diversity they need their they need their cheeseburgers too they can't all be yeah <laughs> they can't all be indie bombers i was kind of worried at the beginning with all the all the needle drops i was like oh is this gonna do this the whole time and then once i got over that i had a lot of fun with this and actually really looking forward to seeing what the what the second and third one bring the aforementioned the gay couple in this movie is the aforementioned Kiana Madeira as Dina, the main character, and her girlfriend or ex-girlfriend is played by Olivia Scott Welch. She plays Samantha Fraser. Samantha Fraser has a very pivotal part regarding the Fear Street lore. They're very good together. Also rounding out the cast is Benjamin Forrest Jr. plays Josh. He's Dina's younger brother who Probably like me, Eric and Bruce, he was a big part of probably those. We were all probably a big part of those AOL chat rooms back in the day when the World Wide <laughs> Web was upon us in Netscape Navigator. And we also have to mention Julie, Julia Raywald as Kate. She's one of their friends and she's just this whippersnapper, very, very out. She drops a lot of one-liners and she's very, very good in the movie as well. And I believe, I think, who is the other person? I'm thinking the other person is named Simon, played by Fred yeah. So, yeah, these are all very good young actors. And I think, to Eric's point, a big part of this movie's success lies in the charisma of all of these of all of these actors. I was actually surprised at how much I really liked them. Bruce, you're an expert in this genre. Want, want to know what you think? And I apologize, Bruce. I, I After listening to all these needle drops, I might have to disagree with Eric Holmes because <laughs> one of the good things about the needle drops, I got to Google fan, bands I didn't know. And there was this band called The Pixies. And they did a pretty good job. Maybe I should start listening to their music. Sorry, oh my Bruce. god! I'm just kidding. I wanted. I wanted. Sorry, guys. I, I actually know who the Pixies are. I don't have them on my Spotify list, but I know. I'm sure Bruce Pixies were a big part of your life uh, th- some 25, 30 years ago. Indeed, indeed. I had several Pixies mixtapes around the same time as Nirvana. Yeah, like everybody. Anyway, <laughs> and Faith No More and all that stuff. So I am right in line with you guys on this. I had the pretty much the exact same experience. Uh, probably for the first half hour, I was like, okay, I know, I see what it's doing. It's almost distracting how much '90s shit they're throwing at me. But if I hadn't lived through the '90s, that might be way more fun too to kind of let 
you get immersed into that world. So I kind of see why it's there, but then they really throttle it back in the last hour and I don't know, 30 minutes, hour and 20 minutes. And like you guys both said to me, it was like when the, the basic problem was set up and the basic group of characters came together as a group, kind of, um, kind of classic style, right? A, a plucky band of misfits having to figure out a mystery and, and, fight against danger that's when it just it worked it worked really well and i'll also echo what eric said about the um having a gay couple just in the center of the movie as the heroic figures and it's just that's what they are and it's not a thing it's just what it is that's that's great and you don't really see that much you don't not in these big netflix crowd pleasing you know uh cheeseburger type movies like he said so that alone is is pretty great and in on those lines i want to call out there's a moment where everyone splits up into pairs to have their romantic moments in the middle midst of the madness well there's five so there's two pairs and one loner and they all get their scenes and they're all entertaining. And it was interesting how those three different scenarios played out. As a lifelong loner, Bruce Berkey, I have no problem <laughs> with such scene. Said scene. I want to see your fingernails. Do you have, do you have uh, okay, some sorry, sorry, colored okay. fingernails here? <laughs> so uh, anyway, that was, that was refreshing. And then also, once again, to echo what you guys said, I really cared about the characters. I liked that the stakes were real for some of the characters. That made it gutsier than it could have been and i really appreciated that and i also appreciated that some of their solutions and once again we're not going to get spoilers but some of their solutions were kind of daring like they have one solution that involves drugs that right i can easily see that being talked back from you know executives saying like can we make that something else we don't want to encourage drug use so i mean there's a lot of things about this seemingly safe-ish horror movie that are less safe than they had to be and i very very much appreciated that and it's just entertaining and i want to see the next edition so that's that's what it was supposed to do i i would also have liked to have seen this when i was like 15 16 because I, I i really enjoyed it but i think if i saw this when i was 16 i'd be like this is the greatest movie ever made <laughs> um, i will be I, watching this with my family i'm telling yeah. you that right now yeah yeah uh, you know i i it, we're talking about cheeseburgers right when you're making a cheeseburger within this genre there's so many ways to, you can make a greasy cheeseburger, cut corners and still make it a good cheeseburger. Nothing wrong with that. I'm surprised to your point, Bruce, that they're, they're offering up a seemingly really not, not too nutritious cheeseburger. But if you actually take a bite, there are things that they do that is absolutely uncompromising. They didn't, and they did not have to do that. Nope. So I was my only, and I'm a Murphy's Law guy, and I don't know how, how you guys feel about this. I enjoyed this so much. I'm excited to watch the next two installments. I am just pleading. I'm hoping the next two installments are reached this level. Or Bruce, yeah. do you take the other tack that maybe it'll be even better? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I kind of wonder about that too, but this is this could stand alone and still be very satisfying. It has a little bit of a cliffhanger, but you could kind of ignore that cliffhanger. If you don't like the rest, this can stand alone and be great. I also just wanted to call out really quick again, the Josh character of the young nerdy brother, I think he is a key and integral piece to making this even more fun. I, I really loved his character a ton. And I was happy to see that he became more than just the annoying little brother. They really gave him something to do. So also uh, back to Bruce's point and the uh, the stakes in this, and given that each one is its own decade, like pre, uh, 
What where are the decades again? This one's 97. The, the other one's 78, 1978. And the next one is 1666. Yes. So the, so there's pretty wide margins between there. So you don't, I wouldn't expect to see the same characters in all of them. Although there's probably going to be a variation of some sort, but uh, the, the Bruce's point with the stakes, like the, I don't know if, if you watch star Wars and you know, there's a trilogy coming out, you know, Luke Skywalker is going to make it all the way to the end. You just know that. But since each one is like a uh, different decade, so remote, far removed and it's a horror, like you just don't know. And, and this one, they set up pretty good that uh, no one, you know, no one's safe. Some people might be. Other people might not be. You just you never know. So uh, I I think uh, going into the second one, it's going to be if they pull it off as well as they did this one, it's going to have that kind of thing where I'll be on the and I like the characters. I'm going to be on the edge of my seat going, I don't know. I didn't. They 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 could live. They could not. I have no idea what's about to happen right now. And that's pretty exciting. I think. Well, discredit to me, Eric Holmes, for not doing my research before doing this review. I'm going on IMDb right now looking at the main characters we spoke about in Fear Street, part one. And so far, I've gone through about half of them. And they are both, a lot of these actors that we love, they are in the pre, on, on the upcoming Fear Streets too. So all of these main, all of these teenagers, uh, they're going to play iterations of themselves, maybe previous to set, like their, their ancestors. And that it'll be great to chart each of these actors from 1666 to, I think, 1978. So this is sort of a... It'd be cool. It'd be yeah. nice. Or maybe, maybe they, uh, maybe they just planted that there. It's like you think they're coming back. They're not coming back. Or oh, you think they're going to oh, make right. it all three? They're Excellent. not really going to be. They're, they're very they're, good. They're trying to. They're trying to MCU you. That's yeah. Yes. That's what they're trying to do. Yes. Okay. So this is a bottom line. Comes out this Friday. Fear Street Part One, 1994. Strong recommend from me, Bruce Eric. Solid recommend for you guys. Yes. Yes. Yes, and can't wait to see the other two. And I'm also with you there, Greg. Please don't suck. Please don't suck. Please don't. Please, please, don't, don't, please don't suck, man. I, Bruce, why you're an expert at this? Why didn't directors or writers decide back in the '90s? No, props to Wes Craven for actually giving that, making us actually care at the end of Scream what happened to the people. Why do you think a lot of filmmakers didn't follow on that that recipe? As far as us caring for characters until the end, because we ultimately in third act, in the third act, you're, we usually care more about the the uh, the elaborate nature of the the kill scenes as opposed to the characters when we should well, really care. I mean, you know, it's that combination, right? Some of them are just making it making a movie to make money because they're just following a formula, and then you got to figure some of them are going like, well, we want a sequel. Well, we want a sequel. We can't kill them off because we got to have a sequel. So, I mean, that's why you get some directors that keep making different movies because they know they're not going to have a sequel because they keep killing off their characters. I mean, look at John Carpenter. He kills off a lot of characters and a lot of great movies, but he didn't make a lot of sequels. So, yeah. Okay. So that is, uh, that is our first movie. Fear street part one, 1994 again, Friday on Netflix, strong recommend from all of us. Next movie is a movie. I foisted onto Bruce and Eric. We were looking for movies for this week. And I saw Kelsey Grammer as a lead. I saw Julia Stiles, Janine Garofalo. And I'm thinking, okay, give this one a shot. This movie is the God committee. It's in select theaters and on demand July 2nd, 2021. Centers on, a, I guess, I believe, a hospital in New York. And the God Committee is a group of doctors, officials. There's one preacher. There's an administrator. Administrator is played by Janine Garofalo. The doctors are played by Julie Stiles and Kelsey Grammer. The Kelsey Grammer and Julie Stiles characters, not too much of a giveaway at the beginning. They're, you see these doctors. They're both very renowned. 
they're lovers, okay? Julie Stiles, she's the new member of the committee. And this committee, the God the reason why they're quote unquote the God committee is they have to decide who, which patient gets the latest heart transplant. I think the suicide's a disqualifier. Besides, there's so many other issues with this patient. Can I ask you something, Dr. Boxer? Aren't these decisions supposed to be made on pragmatic medical grounds? They are. So who are you to judge? You can't possibly understand what Walter was going through. I see an attempted suicide is pretty relevant to a character evaluation, wouldn't you? Who knows? Evaluating someone's true character or soul, if you will, seems like a risky proposition to me. It's like waving a welcome mat to a Jehovah's Witness. Father, this is standard. Yeah, but it doesn't change the fact that you're making decisions based on personal perception. He's not on the stand. He might be. You all might be. If you make choices based on anything that can't be quantified, you're playing God. I'll be the first to step aside when God walks in here and votes. In 10 years, I haven't seen him yet. So they are, they basically play God. They look at several people who are the next in line to receive a transplant. When a heart comes in the hospital, they have maybe a select, a finite amount of time to actually make that decision. That's basically this movie. A lot of it deals with people in a room debating whether or not person A or person B or person C should get it. Let's say person B is actually the son of a very powerful businessman. The powerful businessman is played by Dan Hedaya. Okay, which is interesting because I believe Dan Hedaya started in Cheers. Or he, I mean, he's worked with Kelsey Grammer before back in the day. Okay, but anyways, the son of this powerful businessman, he's, he's um, on life support. He's basically on life support. He needs a heart transplant. The problem is he might not be the perfect candidate for that heart. There are two other people who are more deserving than this guy. And this heart only goes to one person. The problem is this young man's father is very rich and the very rich father plans to donate 20, give 20, a $25 million donation to the hospital. So there are definitely conflicts that are aligning with who gets the heart. And so now the docu- the the voters of the God committee are very up in arms on whether or not to give this person the heart. That's basically also the Kelsey Grammer character. There's a little subplot with him. It, go, it goes back to present day. And it actually, this decision was made six years prior. So a lot of it is set in the past, but present day, we also see Kelsey Grammer as that heart surgeon who's he's trying to make new waves, actually becoming a person who's operating on animals. And hopefully one day the organs of animals can actually be transplanted to humans. Who knows? They're playing God in that sense as well. So that is the premise of the God committee. I'm going to go to Eric Holmes first because people talking in a room debating over issues within the courtroom drama milieu, I suppose, is Eric Holmes' bread and butter. He loves these types of movies, which is a lot of Sidney Lumet-driven type of narratives. And I was thinking, Eric, you could appreciate the merits of this movie or maybe the demerits of this film. So I wanted to see what you think of The God Committee. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's definitely my favorite part of this movie is the back and forth between all the characters on why, you know, why do they deserve it? Because this person did this and that person didn't do that. And the, the arguments had there and that, and that was fun. I'm not entirely sure the, uh, how accurate medically accurate this movie is. I, I suspect not very, but I, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know, you know, for what it was, I kind of had fun with it. Uh, Bruce mentioned that he thought it looked like a failed pilot. (laughs) 
a TV <laughs> pilot. And this this does have kind of a Grey's Anatomy or House. It, it, it seems like a episode of Grey's Anatomy. Or, and unfortunately, like towards the end of it, that's kind of where I started. Greg alluded to a subplot. And much like with uh, Fear Street, where they just started piling on the on the uh, needle drops at the beginning and it kind of tapered off. Uh, this does the opposite, not with the needle drops, but with the subplots, you know, it starts off, oh, this is pretty cool. And then they keep adding more and more subplots. I'm like, you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that. And by the end of it, it was just subplot after subplot. And I, I kind of, I kind of lost interest a little bit there, but the, I'd say like the first half, like I, I enjoyed watching the whole movie, but I enjoyed the first half a lot more when it was more about the, more about the arguments and the conversation at hand. And then when it got to the end of all the uh, twists and subplotty stuff, I, I kind of stopped caring a little bit. And then there was the, the, the bit with the uh, trying to grow a human heart out of a pig, which I guess could be a, a real thing. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they do something like that. This would have been a lot better, I think, if they like obviously dropped all the subplots, but like really really got into the minutia of all the all the arguments and all the science behind organ harvesting and they actually they actually even brought up a bit about uh the ethics of organ harvesting which i i thought that was like there's a lot of good stuff in this movie but then there's also stuff where i'm like why why is why why do you need that kind of just wish they could have trimmed some of the fat not necessarily make it shorter but like trim the fat and then expand on the stuff that's that's really important and really interesting and i i think this movie could have been a knockout as it is i still really enjoyed it and uh, i would recommend it to anyone who likes Grey's anatomy cool bruce your thoughts on the god committee uh, well, for me, this is the this is the dog of the week. I I just didn't enjoy this movie very much. The only way I'd like this movie is if it were all just Kelsey Grammer as a mad scientist trying to figure out how to implant animal hearts into humans and then becoming I don't know creatures like Island of Lost Souls or something. But yeah, I, I'm kind of online with Eric as far as what the problem is. It's just a little bit bigger to me, and that is this is a movie where it feels like it's written backwards, like it's written with the idea of like hey, let's have a movie about the ethics of organ transplants and who gets them. Okay, cool. Let's think up all the different type of people that should get it and discuss what's good and bad about that. Oh, but wait, you think he's the one that should have it, but we're going to give you another little fact. Now do you think he should have it? And the same thing, that they do that. And that's kind of the contrivances that um, Eric is referring to as it goes on. They keep adding things like, oh, now you know this person uses drugs. What do you think now? Should they have it? And then they put this like artificial timeline in there to give it like, I guess, to make it more tense. And that to me just added more problems where I'm kept going like, okay, well, they've only got like 15 minutes left to come back together. And they're like going down into the basements and meeting each other randomly in hallways and like talking about files and things. I was just like, no, this is no, no. I, it was It was boring and it was not subtle. And it was very, it wasn't dramatic. It was just ideas being debated in my brain. So that is a strong recommend from Bruce Berkey. <laughs> That's a great. I recommend this to anybody who has a pig heart instead of a real heart. This movie is for you. I would also kind of uh, throw out like something like Margin Call. Margin Call is an yeah. awesome movie. You know, most people might find it dry, but to me, it's real interesting because, and I, I, you know, the movie doesn't hold your hand a lot of the times, except for the one scene where he's like, "Talk to me as if I were a child." Literally says that in the movie, but beyond that, the movie just kind of goes. 
and it, it just uh it's confident that the story it's telling and all the minutiae and what it's telling is interesting enough and that's all you need you don't have all the subplots of so-and-so's girlfriend and boyfriend and who's doing what i i really wish this movie would have had that same confidence uh, to know that hey you have a really cool idea here go lean on that you know uh, and we'll follow maybe not everyone but I, I certainly will. And you don't need the uh, you don't need the Hollywood cliches added in as filler. Um, just yeah, just have your idea and lean on that and go as far as you can with it. I thought Kelsey Grammer was pretty good in this movie. I liked watching him as a doctor, his journey. Very, I think, a well-developed character amidst all the melodrama. I think actually if this movie was a Kelsey Grammer and Julia Stiles relationship drama without all the issues and just having them talking in a room, they're both very good actors. So I think... That's a big part of this movie's strength. But to Bruce's point, yeah, it does get, I think, in my opinion, it does get a little bit big bogged down regarding the melodrama, a lot of a lot of stuff flying in and around. And, you know, honestly, Janine Garofalo as an admin, she's good as the admin, but she's talented. She has, there's there's a lot of things you can do with her. She has a acerbic wit. There's a lot of things you could have used her more in this movie. And this movie, I'm I'm also happy that more movies like this are out. Meaning we did we did a director spotlight on Sydney Lumet a couple months ago. And there's not a lot of these type of movies out there that tries to tackle issues and credit the God committee for doing that. I think it's powered by solid work from Julia Styles, Kelsey Grammer. It does get a little bit a little bit melodramatic. And if you're not invested in the two lead actors or like the back and forth, of these issues, the God Committee will not be for you. Eric Holmes gives it a recommendation. I would recommend that with a caveat regarding if you're a Styles grammar fan, go for it, as well as the debates are good enough. It is flawed, though. Bruce, a no recommend. Any final thoughts regarding the God Committee, by the way, which hits select theaters and on demand July 2nd? Anyone that uh, listens to uh, or watches Grey's Anatomy and watches this let me know if i'm correct because actually i don't watch Crazy anatomy <laughs> i've seen a couple of clips on youtube yeah, i i watched about nine seasons of, a, of it's how many five, 50 seasons and yes it is a great kind of like a Grey's anatomy episode you're correct so all right so that is that is uh the god committee in theaters and on demand on friday now also in theaters and on demand we just got this under the gun good job on bruce perky for actually watching it probably this morning this movie called Till Death. First off, let me throw it to you guys. Are both of you fans of Megan Fox? Uh, have you liked some of her stuff? Okay. Ooh, Eric Holmes gives a thumbs up. Yes. He's, he's, he's toe thumbs up. Oh. <laughs> That's not what I was going for. But Bruce, fan? You, you, Transformers or Jennifer's? I haven't seen Jennifer's body. I should watch Jennifer's uh, body. I think her best. Yeah, I think that's her best role that I've seen her in. I think that uh, she's one of those actresses that always comes across to me as someone that keeps trying to be the lead and should be a character uh, a lot of actors do the same thing too you know male or female they they, they always want to be the the head of the movie but they should be the they should try doing more character roles and really having more fun but that said that being said she's she's pretty good in this so oh, okay that being said oh that, that's a good sign okay so megan fox is emma she is a photographer she's beautiful she seems to have it all her husband's a district attorney he's rich his name is mark he's played by ian mackin I've interviewed him quite a bit, and he used to be in the NBC series. I, forget, I think it's called called like the Late Shift or the Night Shift, something like that, on NBC. Very talented guy. Mark is uh, played by Ian Mack, and he seems like a very possessive kind of dude. He's making money, celebrating. They have a romantic dinner together. 
and he whisks her off to a lake house. She's blindfolded all the way to this romantic dinner. You're wondering, what does he have in store for her? You're thinking probably not so very good because as the movie opens, we realize Emma's, Emma's actually with another man, Mark's co-worker, okay? So she's actually cheating on her husband, but maybe she has good reason for cheating on her husband. You don't know. The mystery is building. He takes her to the lake house. They. This is not a spoiler because it's a premise of the movie. They, uh, they have a romantic evening together. Maybe... Megan Fox's Emma, she's maybe going through the motions because there's maybe not too much love in this marriage, which is 10 years in. Next morning, her husband, I'm not going to say what, how he does it, but she is now chained to her husband, handcuffed to her husband. Her husband, again, played by Ian Mackey. Ian Mackin. Ian Mackin. My fault. Ian Mackin. E-O-I-N. He's dead. Okay, he's dead. You know, let's just say it. Bullet to the brain. He's like Weekend and Bernie's dead, like but grislier. Okay? So what happens is, yeah, that's the premise of the movie. That's the first act's done. Now, Emma has to lug his corpse around the house. I mean, he's, he has, he's concocted some kind of plan or maybe whatnot. But what happens is there are a couple of possible crooks or interlopers who might actually rob their lake home, their lake house, looking for something. And they are, tar- they are the recent, they are the antagonists of Emma. So while Emma is lugging around this corpse, she also has to evade these two, whoever they may be, they might be killers, they might be robbers, they may be men hired by her late husband. You don't know. So that is pretty much the premise of Till Death. It runs 88 minutes. It's a taut thriller, and it has a lot of things going for it. But before I get into that, I want to get into what you thought of Till Death, Bruce Perky. I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. But with a potential to be really better than okay. I would say, probably, by the way, I'd call it Gerald's Game at Bernie's. That's what I would call it. <laughs> anyway, the first like 20 minutes, I was thinking, oh, this is just going to be like this like trashy lifetime sort of a thing where you got the asshole husband and the, the trophy wife who wants to try to escape from him and she's stuck with it and it's just kind of melodrama. But when it did the turn you talked about and it became her lugging around the body, I was like, okay, this is something I can sink my teeth into. This could be really good, still kind of trashy, still kind of cheesy, but fun. And her, you know, and all the way, I was told my wife about it, like I, when I got to that part, what, it, what the situation was. And she's like, well, why doesn't she just go and, you know, get a knife and, you know, chop his hand off? And I'm like, oh, they have an answer to that. So the, that whole middle sequ- section of this movie, I think if it would have just stayed along that path and been this pure two-hander, one-hander kind of, mm-hmm. I would have I would have probably come out of this and been like, that was a really cool, neat little thriller. But once we introduced the final third, uh, it kind of downgraded a little bit for me and became fine, but more by the books. I thought, I thought the last third was kind of like, I've seen this before. It's okay. It's great. It's good enough. You could have a fine evening watching this. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say don't see it. I would say it's a mild recommend in that sense, but if it had just stayed in that middle third zone, I think it could have been something kind of a fun little indie, fun little trashy thriller, but oh well. Well, mild recommend. So you didn't even want those two guys in the house. Nope. I didn't want that subplot at all. I would not have even had that subplot. I wouldn't have had anyone else show up to the house. That is amazing. Interesting. I, yeah, I, I was fine with the two guys, but I understand where Bruce was going with that interesting second, the middle act, because the middle act is the one actually, ironically, when you don't have those two people, it's the one that's filled with the most tension because you're alone with a dead body and you're at your handcuffed. What the hell? And, and you have the world, the elements are against you. Maybe the villain. Bruce would be Mother Nature, right? 
the cold. Oh, I'll give a small example. There's a there's a couple scenes where she has to go downstairs, and the implications of what happens when she has to go downstairs and how that sets up attention and what she's going on with her. Those are the kind of things you could throw at her the whole way, and it basically it becomes like a survival movie, right? You know, someone continually having these things thrown at them by the elements and by the nature of the situation. To me, that's much more interesting than having it become a cat and mouse thing. You know, That is a very interesting take. I, I actually really love that take. Eric Holmes, what do you think of Bruce's take? And what is your take regarding those two two people? people? Would it have been I, better without them? I, I do like Bruce's take. And I like the, uh, the uh, Gerald's... Uh, I mean, this this has a lot, uh, owes a lot to Gerald's game for sure. Now, as far as Megan Fox goes, like she's always one I've kind of rooted for. Like, I, I, you know, I didn't like the trans, I hated the Transformers movies and, you know, didn't, you know, think one way or another about her in those. I just kind of dismiss those movies outright. But then, you know, here, like behind the scenes stuff, the shit that she had to deal with. Uh, so I, I've always kind of rooted for her because she always gets kind of typecast as the hot chick all the time and doesn't, I don't think she, I don't know how well she can act because she doesn't really get roles that give her much to do. Uh, just stand there and look hot. Okay. Now bend over and look hot. Okay. Now stand up and sit down seductively and look hot. Like that's, you can be the greatest actor in the world. You're not going to get much out of something like that. And then of course you saw Jennifer's body, which is awesome. And you should watch Jennifer's body. And I was kind of hoping this would be another, you know, kind of, you know, th- this doesn't quite get up to Jennifer, Jennifer's body status to me. But again, mm-hmm. it, it, it's pretty, it's a pretty fun thriller. I kind of agree with uh, Bruce. I would have liked to see the uh, more of the Gerald's game approach is I'm stuck here. How am I going to get out? Because I mean, she's just completely isolated. But as it was, a lot of the cat and mouse stuff I thought was kind of fun, even though it, it does that quiet place thing where it's like, ah, I mean, doors make noise when you open and close them and they're right there. How do they not hear that? You know, there's <laughs> they, there's stuff like that in there. But, you know, I, I just kind of let it go. And I was actually enjoying, you know, Megan Fox's performance in this for what it was, just, just by virtue of the fact that she's got, she gets to do a lot more than hey, look how hot I am, you know? So, you know, that kind of, I, I guess that has more to do with me rooting for her than it does, you know, points for the movie itself. But overall, yeah, it, it's a fun thriller and I had a good time with it. Yeah, I agree. It's a fun thriller. Oh, Bruce, go ahead. I was going to throw out there. What do you think? Do, do you think she could have a second or third chapter in films like like playing a part in a Tarantino movie or a David Lynch movie or yeah. a Coen Brothers movie yeah, 100%. where she doesn't have to be the hot lead, you know? Yeah, yeah. and I actually I, th- I think uh maybe like if she had like a like a supporting a supporting role. I I mean I guess she kind of was a supporting role in Jennifer's body and maybe that's why that's why she stood out a little more in that. But yeah, like I, I could see her just like playing some crazy character or, you know, uh, you know, some nutty or just uh, some straight character, what, whatever, but just have, you know, it, you bounce out and then we and Bruce talk about something else. I kind of like, we were talking about like the little bits that, that we kind of liked. One, one of them I liked was that there was a bit where uh, she's like, uh, give me the phone. I got to call the cops. It's like, we can't, they're going to think. And she's like, dude, I, I'm tied to I'm tied to my dead husband. I just want to call the cops and get this over. But what if they think this, this, and this? I'm like, I don't fucking care. Give me the like. No, that, that's normally the part of the movie where it's like we can't call the cops because of this, and then immediately you move the body, and now you're fucked because you know you didn't you know call the police as soon as you could. 
and uh now you're wanted for murder or whatever but i i I like that they took that moment that's in like every type of movie like this and kind of uh just looked at the camera go that's a stupid idea and we're not doing that here (laughs) (laughs) i will say this though i I, i'm really you know obviously the palm is my number one guy i love visual sequences and i think the final 10 minutes where you we have a showdown by these by the ice flows it's actually not a spoiler you see in the poster it's really well done well mounted i thought i really like the final execution of the movie how she has to brave everything the elements and and near death so i really enjoyed a lot of things about till death as far as megan fox as a star she has something that i think most even great actors don't have she just has an innate charisma you look at her your eyes trained her Okay, so I guess that's a bad, that can be a bad thing because if you're just type, typecast as a hot guy or hot girl, that sucks because it's I only one type dimension. Typecast as hot guy all the time. <laughs> exactly, right, Eric? <laughs> but the thing is, when, when she's on screen, the camera loves her, okay? All you got to do with that, though, is fit her with a, a genre that fits to her skill set. And I think this, and something, you know, she was good in, what was the movie that she was actually in with, with that Judd Apatow film that was really, this is 40, she was good in that one as well. She's shown, I haven't seen any of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff, and I haven't seen her in New It's the same as Transformers, it's a look at Megan Fox being hot as April O'Neil. Yeah, She's I, got a little more to do there, but not by, not by a whole lot. I did like her in a movie that no one else probably liked, it's called Rogue. She was very good in that movie as well. Oh, so, I forgot I mean, to go watch that one. Yeah, that's a cool film. She's good. Yeah. She's good in it. I mean, so she's good. She's good. Is she Meryl Streep or De Niro? No, not many people are, but I think she has a really good quality about her, and it really, it really works for her in this movie. So I and I ended up really enjoying Till Death. Surprisingly so. So that movie, hold on one second. It it's theaters and on demand July second. Anything else you guys want to say about this? Because I'm gonna cough in a second. I'll just say um it's a it's a Sorry. recommend. This is a great you're at home. I mean, obviously it's not at home yet, but I mean, you're at home Saturday night. You want to just watch something with your wife or something, have a couple beers. You'd have a fun time with this movie. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much. Uh, yeah. You already, you already watched Gerald's game. You already finished gone girl. <laughs> Fuck it. We're watching till death next triple feature. This mofo. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. So that those are, we're done with our three featured films. Now we're going to a movie rewind. Eric, you got a movie rewind for this week? I do. Cool. I do. I got to, what do, what do, what do, what do I, oh, Perix, Texas. We did, uh, so what is this movie about? A guy just kind of wanders in, uh, what, uh, Harry Dean Stanton, he's just kind of wandering around, and uh, what's his name from Quantum Leap? I keep forgetting his name. Dean Stockwell. Dean Stockwell shows yeah. up, and he knows this guy, and uh, is, hey, where you been? And he's just kind of muttering and mumbling, and then a whole bunch of nothing happens for about an hour and a half. <laughs> and then he at some point he meets his son and then that's where it, i i don't know about you guys but for me that's where this movie became great and uh you know watching his son and then him kind of uh oh, shit, i don't know how much i should i mean the the movie's old and and bruce already covered it but yeah that this movie got pretty fantastic in the last half and i kind of need to go back because i was absolutely checked out in the first half of this movie i was like Oh God, I'm not going to make it through. And then the second half kicked in and I don't know what it was exactly, but there, there, it had that kind of, uh, had a similar flavor to Miracle Mile to me. And that part started shining through. I'm like, Oh, now I'm in, now I'm in again. And so now I want to go back and watch the beginning of the movie to, uh, where I was pretty much just rolling my eyes and see, cause I, I think I missed a lot in that, that first half. 
Um, but the second half was quite moving and had uh had some uh had some bits with the mom and the kid that were kind of uh kind of fucked up but at, at the same reason at, at the same time it was, I, I was kind of there for it like in line with uh, how the characters were acting towards each other even though it seemed very strange that someone would do that but yeah thumbs up Eric, for people who haven't seen Paris, Texas, what would you what would you warn them regarding the first maybe hour plus as far as getting into the the tone or the mood of it? Maybe yeah, it, it's just one of those type of movies you gotta you gotta be in for it. And if you're not, I would say I would I, I definitely think this movie's worth watching. I would say if you're not into it, put it away and then just it, you'll know what kind of you know what kind of tone it is, and then you can come back when you're ready for something like that. Because then you can go back, watch it, you know, you'll be in that, that mind frame to get to through that first half. And then once you do, it pays off because that second half is pretty great. Bruce, you agree on that as far as the first half? I mean, it's... I, I, I can totally see it. I think one of the things I would identify about the first half is that the whole movie is kind of Harry Dean Stanton kind of coming out of his shell and revealing what led him to basically be in the desert. So by the time you get to the second half, you understand the emotional stakes better and you have his son and you understand like who he's separated from. So basically what I had said when I talked about it the first time is the second half is a reverse road trip from the first half. So the first half is almost like, it's almost like he's a, he's a cipher. Like he doesn't have any characteristic other than he's kind of just this weirdo that doesn't talk. So you're really just getting scenery. So that's with the second half, you have actual emotional stakes. And I think that's to me when it works and it becomes a road picture with more than one character that is involved in those stakes. So then I think you can really lock in to the, the story. Okay. I, start, I start watching until the end of the world, which is another Vim vendors movie. And I haven't finished that, but that's kind of doing that same thing where like, uh, it starts off. It's like, dude, <laughs> what the fuck? Are you, are you daring me to watch him? <laughs> but then I, I, after having uh, watched Paris, Texas, now I'm kind of, and now I kind of, uh, kind of get into his flow a bit, and I trust him a lot more because, uh, you know, assuming how Paris, Texas ends, I'm guessing until the end of the world is gonna eventually, you know, get out of its own ass and start, you know, uh, telling a story and paying off. And so I'm actually kind of looking forward. I hope to that. for your sake it does. With all, how many hours one is gonna spend on? Until the end of the world, I think. Well, I got the Criterion. And I think that's like four or five hours. It's a it's a long one, but they got they got like a shorter version of the same, like a two hour version. Yeah. But I figure if 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 I'm gonna get the Criterion, might as well watch the the full oh, meal deal. Full meal deal. Wow, that's that is more than a cheeseburger. That's the entire steak restaurant or fast food restaurant. I do that like is, steak. I do. do like I, steak. I, I do. You know, and I, and by the way, folks, uh, I'm not a vegetarian anymore. I'm I'm going back to eating meat. So. I've started my my road back to hell and not eating eating meat. I'm a meat eater now. Speaking of meat and eating, Willie's Wonderland was that a good cheeseburger for you, Bruce? As far as movie rewinds, <laughs> I ended up liking it. Eric Holmes, I remember, did not like it so much, but I liked. It. I I, I'm pretty be- I'm pretty much with Eric on this one. It had all the ingredients. But it had maybe been in the warmer at the AMPM Mini Mart a little too long. Possibly. That's disgusting. That's disgusting, <laughs> Bruce. That is a bad image. But oh. um, I, I put it this way: I think the thing that would have, because uh, Cage was really sometimes Cage sleepwalks through some of these movies. He was trying in this movie, probably more than he had to try in this movie. But the two things that it should have done, in my opinion, is that the animatronics should have been animatronic. They were mostly people in suits with animatronic heads 
and the human movements of the suits kind of didn't work the way it should have. I wanted them to be like actual crappy robots mm. um, attacking him. And the number two thing was when they had fights, they were always like kind of like fist fights, almost like Kung Fu style fist fights. Yeah. And when I had these robot things, I wanted to see the robot things attacking with different robot like abilities or something you know like maybe their arm twists out and becomes a drill or i don't know i wanted to see that kind of stuff with it as opposed to just kind of a fist fight with a guy in a weasel costume so (laughs) so it should have been a lot more fun than it was although if you once again like we talked about before this i think eric said this and i would agree if you're with a bunch of buddies it's free now on i think i saw it on hulu it's you have a bunch of buddies over. You want to watch something stupid with Nicolas Cage and drink a bunch of beers and just make watch fun Psycho of it. Psycho Gorman. Yes, oh. watch Psycho Gorman. <laughs> watch Benny Loves You. Benny but if you don't, you. Benny Loves You. But if you've ex- it expired all those options and you're looking at Nicolas Cage's face and some animatronic things, yeah, it could be worse. It could know? be worse. Yeah, it could yeah. be worse. That's I yeah. mean that's not a ringing endorsement, but that's I think it's an endorsement enough for a movie like Wonder yeah. Wonderland. It's fine enough. And I like the main woman in it. I, I don't know what her name was. Emily she, Tosta. Thought, she's very good. She's really yeah. Good. I thought she was better than needed to be in this movie. So she, mm-hmm. I, I would see those two go on a weird road trip together. <laughs> so she's very good in this movie. Very very good. Yeah. Yeah, I actually interviewed her recently, and due to, as you guys know, due to Wi-Fi troubles, my interview with her didn't go as, as well as planned because we had, well, I need to do something about my Wi-Fi, my bad. But yeah, she's very good in Willy's Wonderland. She's the best part of the movie. And Nick Cage, little selling point. You're not going to get Nick Cage doing a lot of showy monologues because Nick Cage essentially plays a silent film character in Willy's Wonderland. That was a nice touch. I wish they did a little bit more with that, but it has some interesting moments. But at the very least, pizza and beer with some friends, Willy's Wonderland. And if you've already seen PG Psycho Gorman and Betty Loves You, you're okay. Betty Loves You. Okay, so (laughs) Eric, before we get to your pick, we want to talk to Bruce just very quickly regarding a theory of film night. This is something that you've really wanted. You've championed for the last, what, several weeks? And you were able to see selections or yeah yeah i won't go into a big detail on it i'll just just mention what it is and a couple quick highlights but etheria film night um every year for the last two years shutter has been hosting for a month the etheria film night and etheria film festival basically focuses on up-and-coming genre filmmakers that are either women or identify as women so it is basically focusing on up-and-coming talents that ended up becoming you know, the kind of filmmakers that make a movie like Censor, which you talked about recently, or yeah. St. Maud. There are a lot of great uh, women filmmakers that are rising up and especially rising up in horror and sci-fi and thrillers. I think they're really getting a lot of interesting product out there. So yeah. uh, this has eight, eight or nine short. And there's a couple, a couple I'll just mention really quick. One's called The Fourth Wall by Kelsey Bolig. I think she's a French filmmaker. And it has this crazy energy and color scheme and everything. And it feels almost like Gaspar Noe, like this woman just losing her mind um, backstage before she's going to go on stage with her coworkers and, ha- and just kind of this manic short. That one's great. Uh, there's another one called You Will Never Be Back, directed by Monica Mateo. I believe she's Spanish. Uh, and that one is kind of this weird alternate reality in a hallway. She leaves, she leaves her apartment, goes into the hallway and kind of gets stuck in a dimension or something. And it's very Lynchian and very, very cool. And the last one, the one that really, really caught my eye, and I guess this is possibly being developed into a feature, uh, it's called Who Goes There, directed by Astrid Thorvaldsen. Thorvaldsen, she's, I think, Norwegian, but directs out of Britain. And it takes place in 1880, Minnesota. And it for this little short, it has an amazing epic Western 
classic look, beautiful vistas. Who goes and there? It, what was it? Who goes there? What is it called? Who goes there? Who goes there? Yeah. And it's all these are pretty are short, obviously, it's not long, but she very quickly is able to create an incredible mood, this incredible sense of dread, and this very authentic looking old west kind of epic look and uh, the planes and all this stuff. It's, it's pretty awesome. And it was really, really beautiful. And if they're developing that to a movie, it could be quite striking. So yeah. Okay. So that's a theory film night currently streaming, uh, I guess, till the end of the month, maybe Bruce. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's till the end of July, I believe on shutter. Oh, end of July. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. That these are three good short recommendations from Bruce Perky. And now Eric, we're going to go to your recommendation this week. The video store left alone in the snow. Yep, sure. Uh, I got a, I got a, a, a interesting message from, uh, I believe it was Steve Sanders, and mm. he uh, just said, "Hey, make some, we make shorts, and would you like to check them out?" I'm like, "Well, fuck yeah!" So I put them on, and uh, the so you got the video store about 20 minutes long, and left it alone in the snow is 15 minutes long. So you know they're just kind of, uh, they they feel like a kind of like a short B movies like a trauma-esque type B movies, you know, that, you know, it's definitely rough around the edges, but I, I had a lot of fun with the uh, video store uh, left in, alone in the snow was kind of didn't quite work for me, but I think what these guys do. And one of the main reasons I wanted to bring this up be, beyond the fact that the video store was just so ridiculous and it was awesome, <laughs> but uh, they, they make these uh, movies and they sell them on their website. And uh, let me pull it up here. It's um, the website is hecticfilms.com. And so they have their they have their movies there, and you can buy them. You know, how, however much they are. I didn't really look too deep into it, but they take the money that they use to sell their shorts, and then they just turn it right around and make more shorts. The video store, I think, the video store, or was it uh, Left Alone in the Snow? One of the two, probably both of them, they had six people and a thousand dollar budget. So like, this is not low budget. This is almost no budget. I get the flavor that uh, these are people that just have their friends or people that kind of just want to make movies. It's like, it's got that kind of trauma spirit to it, which, uh, you know, even if the movies aren't for you, I think, I think the spirit and a lot of people can kind of appreciate what they're doing, but yeah, the, the video story totally worked for me. It's kind of a, uh, uh, science fiction horror and then uh, left alone in the snow is a woman by herself uh, not unlike the uh, megan fox movie we just watched um she's by herself and trying to get away from some uh, creeps trying to creep her hecticfilms.com uh go check them out and if you got a couple bucks throw a couple throw them a couple bucks and hopefully they'll make the movie killer vampires into a feature length of that because i really 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 want to watch a feature version of killer vampires what's cool is the video store stars an actor that i like his name is james duvall james duvall started the greg iraqi film years ago with rose mcgowan and jonathan sheck called the doom generation and how old am i bruce perky i'm so old that i actually interviewed 20 james years duvall. old yeah 20 years thank you <laughs> i actually interviewed james duvall for the doom generation back in the day so that was i have always been a fan and James Duvall, of course, he's known for his work in Donnie Darko as well. So they actually, these guys actually picked out a pretty good actor to work with for the video store. So I'm actually, my interest is piqued to actually watch the video store. And maybe I'll. It looks like, uh, what's his name? The uh, uh, Vincent Pastore. Is that his name? 
Yeah. It, it looked like he was in one of them, or it, maybe yeah. I got the. Yeah, is yeah. he the is one? It, yeah. Yeah. In, in the from the Sopranos, from the Sopranos. So. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't watch that one, but I, I I saw they they tend to get some uh, you know lesser known actors, but I mean, yeah, just just the whole style and the the you know kind of spirit that they seem to do their movies at. I I, I think it's worth uh think it's worth spreading the word because they're having fun and that's that's what this is all about. Okay, so if you want to check out the video store or Left Alone in the Snow or a bunch of other movies that they have done or check out their merch store, go to hecticfilms.com. They have shows, they have live stream, they have, they have a really good homepage, okay? So you can buy their films there via Hectic Films. Props to Eric Holmes for checking their movies out. Now, speaking of checking movies out, Bruce, before we get to what's in the box, you have something called Come True, which by the way, I will never see because the ending seems like might frustrate me. But I want you to tell <laughs> listeners, yeah. maybe they should see it and may- maybe they might have better taste than I do. Yeah, a lot of people have been frustrated by the ending. I personally love, love, love this movie. This is very possibly going to be in my top five movies of the year. We'll see how it falls out by the end of the year. Um, this had actually been mentioned to me about three months ago, I think, or two months ago when it went on video on demand by um, Andrew Martin. And it had somehow just fallen out of my brain. And then all of a sudden it popped up on Hulu it's now streaming since last week on Hulu. And I was like, oh, I wanted to check out that movie like two months ago. I'm going to check this out. This movie is just wonderful. It's my cup of tea. Right out of the gate, it's one of those movies that as it gets more and more mysterious and weird, it will eventually reveal an overall reality that you may or may not appreciate in the ways that you might get in like a Mulholland Drive or something. So some people at the end of Mulholland Drive feel like, oh, that's all it is. I don't, I don't like the movie anymore. If you kind of tend to feel that way about these sort of movies, then this might not be for you. But- that being said, the basic concept, uh, it's directed by Anthony Scott Burns, by the way. He directed it. He wrote it. He's a self-professed obsessive. Uh, he spent, I think, like five or six years working on this film. He, uh, well, I'll tell you in a real quick, a little fact that tell you about him a little more. The basic story is around a character named Sarah, played by Julia Sarah Stone. Uh, it starts out with her waking up in a playground. She's been sleeping all night on the on the like the slide and then very quickly you discover she's probably a senior in high school she's riding home to quickly run into the house get some food take a shower and get out of the house so you kind of get the feeling like she's run away from home she's living semi-homeless you're not sure what she still goes to school and within the first i don't know 20 minutes or so she sees a sign for a sleep study takes it it's a way to make money it's a way to spend somewhere at night and not be at home and she goes and becomes part of the sleep study And once you get into the sleep study, that's when things get weirder and weirder and weirder. You have this kind of interesting combination of kind of retro slash futuristic technology, which you see in some of these movies. You kind of discover that maybe there's something to do with sleep paralysis. It kind of taps into some of those same kind of some of those same mysteries that you get in things like Philip K. Dick stuff. Where you're like, what's reality? What isn't reality? Like, are the dreams reality? There's a, there's a lot of cool stuff going on here. It's so much fun. The technology, for example, talking about how obsessive this guy is, he loved the little monitors that you see in the original Blade Runner. Those little blue square monitors. So he found out what model of monitor that was. And then he basically scoured the internet and the world to get enough of those actual models of monitors to use for his homemade monitor setup in this movie it's dreamy it's emotional it's mysterious it's moody as hell it's really really cool the people who like it have described it as garage kubrick like you know if kubrick was running out of his garage with a limited budget this might be the kind of stuff he came up with as an early filmmaker 
The people so. who don't, who will not like this movie are people who, what? They're people who think like, they think that if an explanation, an explanation at the end might cheapen it and make the actual journey not worth it. And that's why I say something like Jacob's Ladder would be another example, right? If you've seen Jacob's Ladder, yes. you know what the ending is? Yeah. Some people might like, well, why did I watch that movie? If that's the whole thing. Uh, why did I watch the movie, Bruce? Yeah, because <laughs> it's cool. It's cool, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's cool and it's interesting. And once you know wait, what it's... Wait, wait. Is the <laughs> ending as good as Jacob's Ladder, Bruce? Come on. That's a, that's a doozy of an ending. It's pretty interesting. Uh, okay, oh, let's really? just say those, those kind funny. of movies, what I say, if they work for you, the way they work is you enjoy the whole movie the first time. And then you want to see the movie again to understand how all those elements recontextualize based on your knowledge of what is actually occurring. You were fine with the ending. You loved the ending then. I did. Yep. All right. And I don't think the ending is exactly at face value either. And this is one of those things you can't talk about if you let's talk about spoilers. There's things that happen at the ending that ex- explain it in quotes, but the where you're getting it explained to you isn't exactly a reliable narrator. So the explanation you're getting might not be absolutely the truth because of the way it's being fed to you. So... It's really cool. Does it sound really? Does it sound really cool to you, Eric Holmes? Yes, it does. I, yes, it does. <laughs> I was I was actually thinking of. Uh, uh, never mind. Never mind. Well, you're thinking something. Oh, okay. You're you're. Oh, never mind. Oh, that's... what what what? He he was talking about the ending, and I was thinking of the the ending to the video store. And oh, I was like, ending. oh, and then you're like, this, this is a great ending. I'm like, is it though? Because it wasn't as good as the ending to the video store. Oh, <laughs> but, the ending. Oh, so okay. The ending of the video store is good. <laughs> But some people are really angered by the ending of this. So, you know, this is this is one of those things I say, if you are enjoying the mood 30 minutes in, write it out. I think you'll enjoy it, even if you don't love the ending. But if you're not enjoying it 30 minutes in, then, you know, it might not be your cup of tea. I mean, this is a definitely mood and a tone piece. It's very dreamy. It's very cool. It's very stylized. I I think it has a lot to offer. Eric Holmes, have you seen Jacob's Ladder? Did you like the ending of Jacob's Ladder? I don't remember the ending to Jacob's Ladder. I, I remember <laughs> what? I remember watching it, and I remember like a bunch of crazy stuff happens, and then I remember like a guy in a in one of those sense deprivation tanks, and then I remember that's not Jacob's Ladder. That's Altered States. You need and to watch Jacob's I, Ladder again, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's. it's I've definitely seen it. It's been way too long. And I get that in Altered States, like mixed up, like constantly. Actually, I just need to watch both of them again. I remember watching Jacob's Ladder for the first and last time, I believe on, it was, I think it was on, uh, on cable. I was, I was a college student and I remember the ending when it gets to that end. And I go, I, I remember just being shook to the core and thought, I just saw that. I just saw that ending. I can't believe. And it's still, I think it's one of my favorite endings. I, I really love that. I mean, it was a great era of endings. I mean, I, I don't yeah. know what, what year I was thinking. I think around that time, I don't know when Angel's Heart, a- Angel Heart was released. I, I remember as a kid watching Angel Heart, the, the final ending of the, the final, uh, final moments of Angel Heart and saying, oh, nothing's going to top that. Then I think Jacob's Ladder came and blew that one off the roof. So both of those, if you, if you love good endings, I don't know if you guys can sign, uh, co-sign on the ending of Angel Heart. The, the ending of Angel Heart and the ending of Jacob's Ladder, both fantastic endings. Do you guys co-sign or what do you think? Yes. Well, the Angel mm-hmm. Heart, I, I kind of remember that one. Jacob's Ladder is a blur. I got to rewatch I it. I mean, I always think of Jacob's Ladder as being known for its ending. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. yeah, is yeah, yeah. Is it the hospital part or kind of you're getting uh yeah i mean it's it. it's something like yeah 
it's not let's let's just say this it's not ambiguous you'll know and when you realize when you go to the ending i think i don't know if you agree bruce first when i saw the ending i go wow what a clever way to end the film just a very well clever without being cheap yeah and with with come true it's got a non-ambiguous ending but i'm saying that i don't know if you can absolutely agree believe the non-ambiguous ending that's given Mm -hmm. to you but some people still hate it because of that. So and, it's and some ambiguous people... in its non-ambiguity. Yeah. yeah, right. And some people, Bruce, to your point, some people love it because of the unreliable narrative, narrative, right? They love that. Talent, well, maybe. Yeah. Well, and it's it, that maybe, and just I mean, some people are like me. Like if if you like the vibe, I think you'll like it either way because the vibe is so strong and it's such a singular approach to a, a low budget movie. And once again, it's a low budget movie, but it really. I love a low budget movie that really shoots for the stars. Like it is not playing it safe at all. It's going for it. So, and I want to apologize, sincere apologize to Bruce Perky as I just opened an email on March, March 10th of this year from a publicist over at IFC midnight, offering us screener links to this movie called come true. And yeah, I apologize for that. That's a movie that I missed on March 10th. I should have actually flagged it down for us when it came out. Bruce. I mean, this is my favorite sci-fi feature i think i was saying this on to online like since annihilation like in like two years i haven't seen a sci-fi feature that's this good so my goodness okay that is huge huge recommendation we are closing the show as we always do with bruce porky and his what's in the box segment and well helping us close is our 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 featured friend every single week is middle class film classes peter beta what does peter beta do every week eric holmes yo pete drop that beat Who's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? You lie! No! What's in the fucking box? All right, we're back. Peter Beta, he did drop the beat. Bruce, what, what do you got for us? And I apologize um, I, again for this because I can see it. This is uh, to double mention Andrew Martin. His suggestion this week was Dreams by Akira Kurosawa from 1990. Once again, I think you can only rent it. I don't think it's streaming anywhere. Once again, why? I don't know. I don't even I think saw this, is... this on YouTube. All of it is on YouTube. I tried watching the first seven minutes and then I said, oh, you know, I think I might have to actually use my brain for this one. And I, I said, <laughs> I'm just going to go and watch till death and just get my cheeseburger right now. So. Well, this is uh, basically it's from my understanding. I didn't do like a ton of research on this. It's, it's Akira Kurosawa. It's the first one he wrote all of himself in like, 40 years i think he'd written one 40 years earlier um and not based on something else and it's based loosely on a bunch of dreams that he had had throughout his life and it sort of goes chronologically like the early dreams or the early there's eight quote dreams there's it's like an anthology basically eight short pieces within this movie and it starts with uh, little kids doing things and it kind of goes so it kind of follows the path of a life so by the end you're talking to an there's an older man that's kind of the focus of the last one and there are a whole variety of different things like any Kurosawa, it's beautiful. It's amazingly produced. The shots are stunning. There's some stuff in here that's just crazy. Like the very first one, for example, is Sunshine Through the Rain. Each one has a title that pops up. It's a really little kid and he's standing outside of a house. And apparently this house is a reproduction of Kurosawa's childhood home, including the the plaque that is his dad's, you know, the name of their house, their family on the plaque. And it's his mom saying, you know, don't go outside when there's sun and rain at the same time, the foxes are going to go out and have their wedding procession. And if they see you, they're going to be angry. And then off he goes into the forest in the sunny rain and 
a fox i won't tell you it's weird it's this, this kind of fantasy sequence and this is one of the kurosawa i've seen this is the most sort of fantastical there's almost like a folktale quality to each segment and some work better than others for you i mean one involves van gogh and where you a guy literally goes into van gogh paintings and you've got uh <laughs> martin scorsese as van gogh which is kind of odd yeah. but uh it was all right not my favorite i'll just tell you really quickly my favorite ones and then you know go out and watch if you're a curacao fan it's worth watching you're going to at least see two or three of the shorts that you'll really like in this. Peach Orchard's really good. The one I just mentioned is really great. There's one called The Tunnel, which is fantastic, where this, uh, and supposedly, according to Hearsay, this is directed by, co-directed by Ishiro Honda, who did, the, I think, the original Godzilla. They were like lifelong friends, and there was, there was, they would say that he helped co-direct a few of these sequences in here. But the tunnel involves this guy. So a, a soldier walks through this tunnel and comes out the other side, and then he turns around, and out of the tunnel walks one of his dead troops to talk to him. And then that sequence proceeds. It's really cool and really interesting and, and haunting. A lot of this stuff is very like stages of life stuff, you know, everything from war to beauty to childhood to just, you know, all the things that might happen in your life. It's, it's, it's pretty great. And once, like I said, it's a little more uneven than some of his works that are the greatest works because it isn't one story, but um, also each story is, you know, 15 to 20 minutes. So if one isn't working for you, the next one probably will. So pretty great. So you would recommend Dreams by Kurosawa then? Oh, for sure. For sure. And especially if you're a Kurosawa fan, you maybe only know his earlier stuff. It's kind of interesting to see what he was doing around the 90s, you know, as opposed to back in the 60s, 50s and 40s. So so that is Akira Kurosawa Dreams. That was chosen by our, our buddy, fellow podcaster, Andrew Martin. Bruce Perky, you're going you're gonna to pick another film for next week for What's in the Box. What's in the bleeping box? What's in the box, Bruce? I know my, my son is hoping. He's hoping and praying that I pick his terrible movie. Right. Hey, hey, Bruce, what's in that box there? Well, you got, the you box? got a box. Why don't you open what's in the box? I'm opening it. Calm down. <laughs> what's in the box? Okay, all I can tell you is by Angie Clark. That's oh, Angie Clark? Right okay. Oh, wait. Never mind. I already did that one. I don't know how I got in there. Oh, no. It was Hero Dreams of Sushi. I've already done Hero Dreams of Sushi. Oh, yeah. Both you all and right. Eric had interesting I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Angie. You uh, got left out on that one. Okay. It's from my son, but it's not the one he was hoping for. Oh. He has two in here, apparently, that I didn't know Very about. Cool. Very cool. So I'm going to watch on Netflix. I've never watched this, but I've heard it's great. Is Klaus. Klaus. It's like a mouse thing. It's a it's Santa Claus a movie. Santa Claus movie oh. animated, but it's supposed to be really interesting and cool. And I've never seen it. So Klaus. Yeah, same here. I, I, I've heard, uh, I keep thinking people are trying to country bears me on that. It's like, yeah. Oh, it's Everyone's really good. I'm like, great. I'm not falling for it. I'm not falling. <laughs> well, I'm going to fall for it. So I will report <laughs> back on Klaus and he's going to be upset because it wasn't bobbleheads, the movie, which is he's waiting for me to get. Oh, that's just terrible. A, that's it. Yeah, that's going to be a freaking killer. <laughs> what kind of what kind of son are you andrew come on <laughs> my goodness well i'm glad you're a great dad because you haven't made your son watch the painted bird yet that's a good you'll never have andrew watch the painted bird because that's a movie i don't think you'll ever recommend to anybody right bruce no, <laughs> no for lack no. of a better for lack of a better word so we we just wrapped up this week remember we'll be back this weekend for our stanley kubrick director spotlight courtesy of anderson cowan and eric holmes the choices are lolita and Spartacus, 
I am going to cheat. I'll probably watch only 10 minutes of it. Don't tell Eric and, and Bruce because three hours and 15 minutes. Is that three hours and 15 minutes? I, oh, it'll, it'll breeze right by. A breeze it's right a, by. You know what? Cr- Greg. Yes. Two words. Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas, right? Kirk Just Douglas. saying. Just saying. In fairness, Eric Holmes has been holding our Kirk Douglas segment for since our inception. I mean, even he probably even was doing it, doing uh, Kirk Douglas movies back in the days of our movie mainline days. So I'm, I'm sure he's very excited to do another Kirk Douglas film, obviously one of Douglas's best known works that is Spartacus. And of course, since I was going to make a joke with me and Lolita, but this is not a, this is not a time <laughs> and a place and woke and me, yeah. me too. And yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not going to make any little Bruce just jokes. picked his son's movie. It's like, it, we're in a clean spot. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in a clean. <laughs> yeah. Lolita has nothing to do with my dating life folks. Though I have zero dating. I mean, just, just watch fear street, 1994. Think of the dude, uh, number five, what he's doing in, in, in the mirror. And then you can just think of me in a very disgusting fashion. Go, go tell us what you think of all these movies. Hit us up. Eric, anything else we want to plug? Anything else we should plug? Uh, check out uh, hecticfilms.com. See if uh, see if they're uh, if you're into what they're doing. And if not, you know, maybe throw them a couple of bucks anyway, because it's always good to it's always good to help people kind of, you know, get their art out there and have some fun. Yeah. People who people use their money to to actually make movies. So I, I'm Eric Holmes is actually going, will be raising funds for his own movie and directing very down the road very, very soon. So he's he's very pers- personally connected to that. So if you have any, uh, if you want to send send a couple of bucks our way, send it to Eric Holmes or Bruce Perky. Don't ever send me any money, folks, because you know where that money goes to. Crypto, hashtag cryptocurrency. Benny, lo- Benny doesn't love me on that side. <laughs> In that sense, <laughs> Benny does not love me whatsoever. As always, per usual, we are ending our show with final thoughts from Bruce Perky. I would say, just to add to what Eric was saying, go to Etheria Film Nights, support brand new filmmakers. We want you guys to be watching the filmmakers that are just getting started now and discover the ones that are going to be the greats for the future. All right, guys. Take care, and we will see you next week.